All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm here today with Will Healy III. Will is enthusiastic about manufacturing, technology, and workforce development. A Purdue University mechanical engineer who loves to share his passion for automation, Will is a leader at Balof Worldwide and with the Advanced Manufacturing Industry Partnership, or AMIP. He speaks from personal experience about the industrial revolution, managing culture change in organizations, bridging the manufacturing skills gap, and creating value through automation. Be sure to follow Will on YouTube, Twitter, and Reddit with the handle Will Automate. Will, welcome to the show. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Absolutely. So, Will, share with us a little bit about your background. And one of the things, because people can't see you on this podcast, but you are a younger generation coming into manufacturing. So tell us a little bit about your background. And again, as a younger person than what we're used to seeing in manufacturing, how your path led here. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm uh, I'm right on the border of Gen X and Millennial. So I have some Gen X tendencies, but I have plenty of Millennial tendencies, like I'm looking at my phone right now. But I actually went to military school when I was a, when I was a kid and learned a lot about discipline. And then, you know, I was good at physics and math and chemistry in high school. And so people said, well, you should be an engineer. And I didn't know any better. So I went to mechanical engineering school. What I will say about mechanical engineering school is you don't want me to design anything. And uh, the second thing is they make minimum requirements for a reason. And Lisa, do you know what they call someone in engineering school who, who gets the minimum requirements? I have no idea. They call them an engineer. You get an engineering degree, you just meet the minimum requirements. So yeah, I'm, I have a mechanical engineering degree, uh, but I really was a people person all through school. I was building groups around me and study groups and, and those kinds of things. And so I knew I didn't want to design. And so I started into technical sales. I, I started looking into technical sales as an option. And I think a lot of students don't even know that that's a thing. You know, they think they have to be a design engineer if they went to engineering school. And there's just so many career paths that have nothing to do with designing, but you still need to understand the technical background. So I went into technical sales with Balof. I spent many years doing industries like welding and stamping, food and beverage. I've worked in the wind industry, all working on automation and how we use technology and we use automation to to improve the output of our factories and to improve the lives of our workers. So I spent the last 15, 16 years now Doing automation with Balof in a variety of roles. I've been product manager, and uh, now I now I do like marketing strategy and working on where should the company be going and, and what should we be talking about. And I know that you are really active uh, on YouTube, Twitter, Reddit, all of that. So that's one of the things to kind of change the conversation when it comes to introducing people to manufacturing, letting you 
people know that's out, what's out there, what kind of career paths are there. So what are some of the things that you're sharing and where are you getting the most responses or questions? How's your social media journey been? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I really loved LinkedIn from the beginning. I thought it was a neat place to connect with people. And uh, I call it my digital Rolodex. A business card now is a reminder to find someone on LinkedIn, right? But uh, I, I see it as such a powerful tool to connect with people in a, in a unique way. I've had a lot of success with LinkedIn, but I've also had a lot of success in in-person Like, I mean, really all of the efforts, I mean, we can talk about skills gap and hiring and all the things that, that, that everyone's talking about, but these things are solved at a local level. So you saw, I had AMIP, you, you, you announced AMIP as in my bio, this is a local industry sector partnership. And what that means is we are a group of manufacturers working with local tech schools, working with local um, institutions, working with local non-for-profits that are working with second chance citizens like people coming out of prison and working with uh, legal immigrants that are coming into the country looking for work. And so we're pairing manufacturers with tech schools and universities and with these non-for-profit organizations and creating real actual connections and solutions to the skills gap problem. And so for me, social media is really amazing and I've made lots of connections through that What's been most worth my time investing is in the local community and the local engagement. Like I was one of the first proponents of Manufacturing Day many years ago. I made Balif have a Manufacturing Day event. We were the only company in Cincinnati the first year doing a Manufacturing Day event. And we've done it many years. We didn't do it this year and last year because of coronavirus. But we did virtual versions of our, our tours. But I think engaging with the community and real people and real organizations has had the most value for me and has had the most impact. Like people contact me still like, hey, I went on a tour five years ago and now I'm in school to be in manufacturing like that. Those kinds of things are just amazing. Well, and that's such a good point, because a lot of times we can use social media in addition to all the other ways that we connect. But social media by itself is kind of a little bit taking the lazy way out where if you're looking for people, you can post stuff on social media all day long, but until your company gets involved with that local tech school, when you get involved with guidance counselors, when you get involved with people who can make those relationships, like you said with Balif, when you are competing, everybody's competing with the exact same people Yep. But if they have a relationship with you with Ballup, they're more likely to come to work with you and to stay with you because they've done your tour, because they know who you are and they've already built some kind of relationship. So absolutely, the, the personal connection is a huge part of that as well. Yeah, and networking in your community. I mean, like you're not the only manufacturer in your community struggling to hire people. So you may see them as a competitor, but actually working together to get a program started at the local tech school. You both need machinists, but the local tech school doesn't have a machinist program. Like work together with other manufacturers, talk about common problems, and then engage with, there are organizations around you that want to provide that support. And so to me, I really had like an aha moment about two, two and a half years ago that like, they're not my competitors. They're my colleagues. We have to work together to solve this. It's much too big a problem for me to solve it just as Balof. 
Right, exactly. And again, going back to those trade and technical schools where you can get together with your quote unquote competitors to see what are the skills that we need for machinists coming in, what kind of curriculum. And then I work with a lot of workforce development parts of JVSs and community colleges, and they will design a program for (laughs) you. You can have ready-made students coming out, but Mm -hmm. again, it's just, it's paying attention and in that little bit of time investment, because as you know, you're not just competing with other manufacturers. Now you're competing with Amazon. Mm -hmm. You're competing with every other big box distribution center that's coming in who's looking for the same people. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, really the only market that has a bigger labor problem than us is the retail and hospitality space and the the food service space. So, I mean, they're struggling for workers as bad as we are. So we have to provide an experience and then we have to engage at a different level if we really want to have the workers that, that we want. So if we want to have the highest quality workers. Right. And providing an environment where it's just cool. You know, Mm -hmm. if you have people that are coming from another environment, we pretty much know what a a waiter or waitress does at a restaurant. I mean, we kind of know what that job is. It's quick paced and everything. And if those people are looking for the next step in their career and they come into your manufacturing company and it's all equipment from the 70s, there isn't a robot or automation to be found, they're going to be like, I can't do this. So what are some of the things that you're saying with with technology and how it's impacting the strategy for not only attracting employees, but retaining the ones that you have? Yeah, definitely. I think, Lisa, the biggest thing of this is how is your technology strategy impacting your HR strategy? That's really the the heart of of the question to me, because if you want to hire and retain and attract the best workers, you have to be investing in your company. You You have to show them that you care about the company and that you're investing in it. And you do that through an investment in technology. Um, how are you investing in the workers? How are you investing in technology to make the workers' lives better? How are you making the lot workers' lives safer? How are you making the workers' lives easier to do the jobs? Or how are you having them do more mind, more jobs using their brain and less jobs using their brawn? Um, so, so I like to talk a lot about what is your technology strategy and how is it positively or negatively impacting the HR strategy? And so some ideas that are there, like faster onboarding. You know, if you have a position that's churning all the time, what does it, why is it churning? It's not because you have bad workers. If you have a good job, they're gonna want that job. So if you're having a lot of churn, what's going on in there? Is it, is it, we have bad training, we need to work on the training? Do we have a bad process and we need to work on the process? Or could a technology help us invest and and make that job better, right? Let's make it less dull, less dirty, less dangerous. Let's let's make it a job that a worker wants to do. So we have a place where we have a lot of churn. We really have to look at ourselves, not at the workers, like we're we're not finding the right workers. Do you have the right job is really a question we have to look at. And do we have the right technology to support the job? And if it's training, I've seen some awesome things like augmented reality. And I know that sounds crazy, but there are real people implementing this real right now. I've seen some incredible applications of either glasses where um, the work instructions are projected right at the person's eye. So while they're working, they can see a video of what the steps are. So you can, Hmm. I mean, 
I was at a trade show where I put on one of these classes and I put together an assembly I'd never done before with like 20 seconds of training on how the headset works. Like I was able to do an assembly. There's other companies that they use projections. So they actually project down on the workbench and they show videos of where do the parts go and how do the parts assemble. And so like while you're working, lights are turning on and off and cameras are making sure you're doing all the proper steps. And so someone can literally walk into the work cell and do the task and never have done it before. So those are like onboarding type technologies where the automation is guiding, the technology is, is making it easier to onboard people and actually also adds flexibility. If all of a sudden you need to make a new product, right? A variation on this. You don't have to go and spend weeks training the operator or changing all the fixturing. You have a new program for it or a new display for the AR headset. And now the operator can do the new assembly. So it gives you more flexibility too when you in involve technology into the processes like that. So. Um, and you're also coming in from almost like a gamification standpoint, absolutely. because you have so many kids that are coming in that are playing video games so much, and they're so used to having that for entertainment purposes. Yep. So if you could bring that level of entertainment to show them how to do their job and that's implemented in there, number one, it's going to make training them a lot easier because they're used to playing their video games, but it's also a super cool way to, do, to learn something new that's going to make them money and give them a career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think wherever we can invest in technology to make it more engaging for the worker, where we're using our brain, those kinds of things, and we, we make it more interesting and less repetitive. I mean, those are, those are good opportunities, right? And then I think about how do, we, how do we make the work easier for people, whether it's, I've seen like exoskeletons, which sounds crazy and high science fiction, right? But it's really, I'm not talking about like avatar battling robots. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about like assisted lifting. Like if someone's job is to lift stuff all day, every day, or if their job is to use a drill above their head all day, every day, like there are tools that are in place in exoskeletons that they can wear so that they aren't holding up the weight of their arms all day. The arm, like the tool holds their arms up. So they're able to do the, do the job better. You have better outcomes. You don't have as many workman's comp claims that come from repetitive injuries. So there are so many different technology options there to, to make the work life of that worker better, right? Think about if you're lifting all day, you get home, you're going to be cranky and tired and, and your family's going to get you yelling at them and you're not going to want to do anything at home or exercise or anything. But if you've got technology assisting you, your work, your work is better and your home life is better because you're way less exhausted at the end of the day. And so right. like investments like that are what attract people. So this is how technology choices impact our HR strategy and our hiring and retention and attraction. Well, and we look at it from a cost standpoint, because I'm sure that there's people listening to this podcast going, exoskeletons, are you crazy? Do you yeah. know how expensive those things are? And number one, probably not nearly as expensive as you think. But number two, if you look at the cost of one worker's comp claim, if you look at the cost of turnover of that one employee, because he's not happy at work, and then he goes home and he's miserable at home and this whole thing where we look at that employee holistically, 
not only the person that shows up at the plant every day, but who that person is in the rest of their life. And you can make that a little bit easier for them. That employee is going to know that, hey, this is an employer that actually cares about me and is investing in me to make my life, my job a little bit easier. And you're going to retain them. The other thing that we had talked about before the show is also getting extended career life out of our baby boomers, because we know that the silver tsunami is happening. It was happening before the pandemic. And now you just had 19 months of people at home playing with their grandkids. And they're like, I think I'll no longer work anymore. So talk about that. What are some of the ways that you can use automation as a retention tool? Yeah, definitely. So I think any place, you know, we we think about uh, boomers, most of the boomers I know still want to work. They don't want to retire just yet. Maybe there are some, but they're tired or want to retire because there are a lot of physical demands in the job they have. And so when when we look at the physical demands, how can we use automation to eliminate the physical demands, but keep the mental parts and and they have so much knowledge, right? These are people maybe been in our company 25 years. How do we keep that tribal knowledge in our company for a few more years, but get rid of the the negative parts of the job, like the physical demands that they just can't do anymore. And so things like uh, collaborative robots, right? Cobots, one of the largest applications for Cobots is machine tending. And all that means is the loading and unloading of the machine, right? Someone still has to put in that in that CNC machine, what is the program or what is the project we're working on? Someone still has to put that in there. But the robot does the loading and unloading, the, the terrible part, the heavy part, the dirty part. And so now we're solving not only our skills gap problem, I can't find any machinists. Now you keep that machinist guy around But he, instead of just running one machine, he or she can be running three or four or five machines because the robots are doing the tending and they're just doing the setup and the changeover. And so they're more valuable to you because now they're not just making one part, they're making five parts. And so they're making you more productivity, they're making you more money, and you invested technology in making that worker more valuable to you. So when you say cobots or collaborative robots, um, explain what you mean by that in case somebody listening is like, I've never heard of a cobot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a collaborative robot's a little bit different. This is a six axis robot. So the one that looks like a big arm is, is mostly what I'm talking about right now, right? It looks like an arm mounted on a pedestal. So the arm, the, the reason it's called the six axis because there's six degrees of motion, but that doesn't matter. It looks like a big arm. And typically, uh, a traditional six-axis robot has to be inside a cage. No people can be by it because it's very dangerous. It's really strong. It can move fast. But recent developments have allowed what's called collaborative robots, and they operate a little bit differently. They usually have less payload. They move slower. But they allow humans to work very closely and interactively with them. And so there's still safety requirements, of course. Of course, yeah. um, You still... (laughs) it allows for much closer robot and human collaboration. And so this reduces the idle time of the human and it reduces the idle time of the robot by allowing both of them to work together in this way. And so a cobot is is nothing more than really a six axis robot that can work in proximity with people and it allows people to be more efficient and effective and the robot, honestly, to be more efficient and effective. So if somebody was thinking about 
adding automation. Maybe they do have an older plant and they're starting mm -hmm. to think about adding that or they have some automation, they wanted to take it to the next step. What is a, a really good place to start? How should you determine what kind of automation you're bringing into your facility? Yeah, I mean, if you have older equipment and, and you have no automation now, you probably just go rent a bulldozer and bulldoze the whole factory because, no, no, I'm just yeah. joking. <laughs> I was gonna say, no, 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 no. We just lost no, no, the I mean, percentage of the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> we we can't we can't bulldoze what we have right so i mean that's that's not realistic i mean it would be great to go buy all brand new automated iot smart factory let me think at 12 more buzzwords it'd be great to go buy all those buzzwords. right it would be great that's not realistic for the vast majority of small to mid-sized manufacturers that's not a realistic expectation it's not a realistic expectation for large manufacturers either right but the, what we can really do is we got to solve problems, right? For us to need to spend money, for us to be able, be able to spend money, we need to know where the problems are. So what are causing us the biggest pains? Is it machine downtime? I mean, a lot of people have machine utilization under 25%. So that means your machine is not running 75% of the time. So, hmm. I mean, this is... Right or wrong, that's just the state of the way it is. So machine uptime is a lot of times the biggest problem that I encounter um, when people are trying to automate. How do we get more uptime? How do we get more productivity? So it, it depends a little bit what are the goals or wh where are your roadblocks and what are your blockages. But I see, I see machine uptime, putting automation around it, either, either automation of monitoring of the machine to be able to better understand the condition of the machine and, and prevent unplanned downtime, to do maintenance during lunch breaks. If you, can, if you can say, hey, something's vibrating too much at lunch, let's take a look at it while the machine's on a break or something, right? Like, or we can look at automation. We have a lot of quality defects. Let's add some automated checkpoints. So the operators are manually putting things together Let's use automation to validate that they do it properly so we're not sending out bad quality product. So it's really about are we trying to are we trying to see more into our process, what's going on with our process? Are we trying to um, have more efficiency in our process? Or are we trying to have more flexibility? Do we need these operators now to make 10 different products instead of two different products? How do we add flexibility? Automation's really, really the solution. I think, I think the real struggle is too, is everyone talks about smart factories and smart manufacturing and IOTs and AIs and, and clouds and all these things. Most manufacturers are really, they're not at industry 4.0. Most manufacturers are at industry 2.0 and they're trying to get to automation, which is industry 3.0. So I think we can get scared off if we talk too much about all of those fun, catchy buzzwords. Really, we, we should focus on how can we use automation to improve our processes, either the visibility into our process, the, the efficiency of our process or the flexibility of our process. That, that's really where I see the most realistic starting place for most people. What are the problems and what are we trying to do? One of those three things. Okay. And when it comes to when you're thinking about using technology to improve your HR processes, and we've talked a little about retention and workplace culture using automation, what would you say would be your biggest tip, the things that people can get started using right away or doing right away? Yeah. Talk about what you do. If you have something cool, 
share it. Like, I mean, you're, people are looking at your company trying to decide if they want to work there or not. You made a post. And if there are no videos of your company or inside your facility, they don't know who you are and they're going to be scared to apply. The workers have the power right now. And so they have a lot of power. The workers are, have a lot of choice. And so we need to present our technology to the public. I know we're all, we have our IP and things we can't show. Okay, don't show your individual process, but show like, this is a clean, well-lit, air-conditioned workspace. This is a place where people wear shorts and have their dog every day. What, whatever it is, like show your workplace and show your people and show the technology. If you've invested the technology, show the technology because that's gonna help you attract people much more than it's gonna inform your competitors. So, and that's really my advice is if you're making these investments, Think about them as an HR tool and make sure you're sharing them that way so that people can see what you do. Right. Well, and when you think about the quality of the uh, video equipment that we all carry around with us in our pockets all day long. Absolutely. <laughs> we got, I mean, everyone's got a, a better camera than I've ever owned in my pocket. Right? Exactly. So that's what, that's all it takes. It's like you walk through your plant, show what it's like, take out your phone. You, people aren't looking for perfection, mm -hmm. but they are looking to see what you're doing. And they, they want to see, are there people who look like me on your website doing what I do? Yep. So make it fun. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Bring out mm -hmm. your phone and do something cool. Yep. Yeah. I mean, really, the, the best companies are showing their people and they're showing their technology. There's, there's a company here in Cincinnati. If someone wants a really good example of this and they're, they're wondering, this incorrupt bill steam, they make um, shock absorbers, probably something more specific, but I, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but they make parts for cars. They're an automotive tier supplier, but they show their people every day on LinkedIn. They, they're, they're showing their technology every day. It looks like a fun and amazing place to work just from the videos and pictures and things I've seen. So it's a really good example if you look, if I'll look at them on social media of what I'm talking about when I talk about share your technology and share your people and, and your people with the technology. And that's going to help your, that's going to help your hiring and retention and recruiting. Absolutely. Well, Will, thank you so much for being on the show today. If somebody did want to connect with you, how do you work with the clients that you have? I know you do some speaking and consulting. And if somebody did want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, honestly, LinkedIn's the best place. If you send me a message on LinkedIn, I'm most responsive there. My cell number's right on my LinkedIn profile. Text messages are great too. Uh, email is probably the worst way to get a hold of me, to be perfectly honest yeah. with you. That's a, that's a dumpster fire there. LinkedIn messages and, and text messages are great. Uh, I work with people directly both those ways. On YouTube, I, I get some messages on YouTube, but most are through LinkedIn or, or text. Okay. All right. Well, again, Will, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate you and all the insight that you shared with us. Lisa, it was great. Really appreciate it. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. 
You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.